I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 120 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, many of you have suggested that I have a few politician dads on the show to talk about some of the issues. And today I have an amazing guest for you. Congressman Sean Duffy from Wisconsin will be here with me in just a minute. So please stick around for the interview. Uh, Sean met his wife, Rachel Compost Duffy, on MTV's Road Rules back in the day. And together they have eight children. So I'm very excited to have him here with me today. Tomorrow on the podcast, I will have former congressman and retired lieutenant colonel Alan West here to talk about fatherhood and family life. So please, guys, lock it in for that one. And I just started a new Instagram account. So everyone who is following me on Instagram at Alec Lace, I'd like to encourage you to join me at First Class Fatherhood as well. I'm trying to extend my reach and I'm also uh, becoming more active on Facebook. So you can find me there, Alec Lace. I also have a Facebook page for First Class Fatherhood. You can find me there. Follow that as well. So brace yourself, folks. We are about to hit on some of the major issues headlining the news, including the border wall or the border security fiasco. The last time I spoke about the immigration crisis was over the summer with Dennis Varela Hernandez from Honduras, whose daughter appeared on the cover of Time magazine, along with a false story. You can hear my conversation with Dennis back on episode 63 of the podcast. It is actually one of my most downloaded episodes. So if you haven't heard it, please get over there and check it out. A few of you guys have hit me with DMs thanking me for the NFW discount. You're welcome for that. Uh, you guys that are in the market for a phenomenal watch, you got to go over and check out the selection of watches at nfwonline.com. You can use my promo code FATHER to receive 15% off your order. You get free shipping in the U.S. and $50 of your purchase goes towards Honor Flight. Uh, I've posted a few of the pics up on Instagram of NFW's Valor Collection. You can check them out from yourself. Just go visit the store, guys, nfwonline.com. Use my promo code FATHER at the checkout. The watches are badass. Uh, the owner is a first-class father, George Fox. You can hear him on the podcast back on episode 112. So do yourself a favor. Get over there. Check out the watch collection, nfwonline.com. Use the promo code FATHER. All right, so Congressman Sean Duffy is coming up right on the other side of a quick spot. First Class Fatherhood is on fire here, so please help me spread the word about it. Drop me a rating or a review on iTunes. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. I cannot say thank you enough to all the listeners out there. You will hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to help me make First Class Fatherhood ad-free, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by hitting the link in the description of today's podcast episode. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Today's interview is being brought to you by SeatGeek. Get over to SeatGeek.com today or download their app. You're going to get $20 off your tickets to any event on their site, sporting event, concert, Broadway show, whatever you like. You use my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS, and you're going to get $20 off your tickets over at SeatGeek.com. All right, joining me now is a first-class father. He is a member of the United States House of Representatives from Wisconsin's 7th District. He is a former cast member of MTV's The Real World and Road Rules. It is a great honor for me to say Congressman Sean Duffy. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. 
Hey, Al, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, here we go. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? So I have eight kids. Uh, my oldest is 19 years old. My youngest is two. So I have one in college and one in diapers, and the rest are in between. Wow, incredible. Uh, what type of sports or activities are you all into? So, you know, I've got, I've got some that play uh, soccer, some that play hockey and baseball. Um, my high school son loves to downhill ski, and they, they make these jumps now where when I was skiing back in the day, you know, they would tear our jumps down on the ski hill. But uh, he's doing flips and 360s and 720s and some, you know, doing some unique stuff on the ski hill. So, um, so uh, that's him. And then they also, they also log roll um, in the summer, but also at the YMCA in our local community have a log rolling program. That's uh, when it's lumber, this is lumberjack sports when two people are on a log in the water, you know, battling to uh, get the other off. Um, cool, unique sport uh, that kind of plays into Wisconsin history. So that's kind of the, the, the sports spectrum. Very cool. Yeah, that's a nice wide variety of sports for sure. Uh, do you ever get involved in coaching at all with the kids' teams, or do you cheer them on from the sideline? I don't. And I'm going to tell you what, and this is one of the issues with my job. So because we're gone so often um, in, in D.C. as a congressman, I miss a lot of um, a lot of hockey games and soccer games. My daughter played tennis as well. I, mean, I didn't see one tennis match with my daughter who graduated until it was uh, the very end of her senior year. At the end of the season, I saw one match. Uh, that she was in, and it's just because the congressional schedule takes us away from our homes and our kids, and therefore you miss a lot of those activities, which is, um, you know, it's, it's one of the uh, more depressing sides of, you know, being away from your family. And, you know, this is the same thing that our military men and women go through when they when, when they serve our country. They leave, uh, but actually risk their lives. We don't in Congress, but um, it, it becomes a, a real pressure point on families. And it's hard with eight kids, you know, to, to go to all the events and manage the house and, but I do the best I can. Um, I, I played hockey growing up, so my um, my sixth grader plays hockey. I would have loved to have been able to coach his team this year. They needed a coach, but, you know, just my schedule doesn't allow for that. That's tough stuff right there. All right, please, Sean, uh, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, when fatherhood came into the picture for you and how becoming a dad kind of changed your perspective on life. You know, I um, – so we, my, my wife and I were 28 years old. Um, we got married and, you know, uh, had our uh, first daughter, um, you know, shortly after we got married. Um, and, you know, I, did, I, mean, I was I was a kind of – I did reality TV back in the day. I did, you know, MTV's The Real World. My wife had done the same show. Um, I was in law school. You know, you're kind of uh, footloose and fancy-free at that stage of your life. And – when you have a, a baby on the way, it really makes you focus on, you know, what's important and how do you support them and, you know, what does your future look like? It's not just you any longer. It's, you know, your wife and your child. And um, for me, that kind of put a focus on politics. I, I, I was never involved in politics in my life. Um, you know, and I, I was a Republican voter, but I uh, didn't know a lot of the issues. And once I started, in my fatherhood career kind of coincided with being more interested in the world in which I was going to raise my children. And uh, I got more involved in kind of the policies and the ideas on, on what it would be like in America uh, for the kids that I would raise. Um, and would it be as prosperous and as free um, as the America that I grew up in? 
Yeah, one thing I talk about, Sean, quite often on the podcast here is that it feels like there is an attack on the family life, a family unit, uh, on fatherhood in general through our pop culture. The way dads are portrayed on TV and in the movies is really far from the reality of how dads are. Uh, and I think uh, the results have been devastating on our society. And if we could just get back to celebrating family life and, and nourishing the family units, uh, I think most of the problems that we're seeing in this country right now would just begin to fade away. Well, I, I think, I mean, th- this has a huge impact on our culture. And I, I think that we were supposed to raise kids, um, you know, with two parents. And, you know, to, I mean, and, and we know this men and women offer different things to children. And so, you know, my, my wife has, you know, one strategy with kids, um, and it's feminine, and mine is masculine. And I think that balance um, over, you know, thousands of years developed, and it's the best uh, form in which to raise kids. And when I'm gone, or she works for, uh, doesn't work for Fox, when she's gone, um, it's really hard to, to, to parent as a single parent. It's, it's really challenging. And I think, you know, we have a lot of kids who are growing up angry. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think they've been fully served by how, how, as you put it, how our culture treats and values family and the rearing of kids in a family structure. And um, I, from my perspective, it's important that we have policies in Washington that actually support the family unit um, and the creation of the family uh, because, no doubt, it's the best place to, to raise kids, uh, healthy kids, productive kids, um, moral kids, law-abiding kids, is when you raise them in that family structure. And by the way, we know the two uh, families are more prosperous, people are more prosperous, families are more prosperous when they stay together. Um, and so all around, it's a, it's a benefit uh, to America, to our culture, to our communities, um, when we support uh, and strengthen our family units. Yeah, well said. I agree with you. And when we look at the statistics of children who grow up in a fatherless home, they are really devastating. And I think it's important what you just said there about the two-parent household where there is somebody to nourish and love and somebody to fight and protect. And um, it's not that people that come from single-parent households have never been successful. Many of them have. Uh, but the best chance we could possibly give our children is to have the best of both worlds. Uh, well, why do you think there is such a fatherless household issue plaguing us today? You know, I think, you know, times change, right? And, and I think culture has, you know, promoted the idea that, you know, it's, so, it's, so, it's okay to, to break up the unit or never have a unit in the first place and have kids. Um, and, you know, because it's be- become far more socially acceptable, I think it's happened more frequently. And we, we glamorize things that are other than a solid family unit. And if our culture, our Hollywood, our schools, um, our politics said, no, 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 we, we value, we hold up this entity of the family and made it maybe cooler in culture, you might see more of it. Um, and I mean, even so far as you, you, we have all of these issues now with toxin masculinity. Masculinity is bad. Well, hold on a second. Masculinity is really good. It's really good to have a feminine side and a masculine side. But to say that we're going to devalue even men um, and say that their masculinity is wrong or offensive or abusive um, is an affront to the to the very idea of saying, "Hey, you can be a man, and you know what? You can you know be a man in in, in your household and, and a man raising kids and give good values and good structure and good discipline um, to your kids and to your wife." And I think it's great to see, you know, how for kids to see two parents working together to raise them. Uh, and now they see potentially, you know, both parents go off to work in the morning. 
to, to make money to pay their mortgage and, you know, put food on the table. Those are all values that our kids pick up from that family structure. And I think what happens, too, is um, we don't know what time the way it is uh, when you have a, a, a two-parent home. I mean, our, our time is so tapped out. But you do have more time because you can split up the roles of whether you're shopping or, you know, who's going to what game or you have time to sit around the dinner table. I know when I'm at home alone with my kids and my wife's not there, I don't have time for anything. It's really hard to give kids the attention that they need when you're doing it alone. And I, and I commend the single parents out there who are, who are doing it because I know it's not easy and I don't want to minimize the work that they do, but I know how hard it is. And for my wife and I'm in D.C., if you're not, if you don't have a partner in it, um, you're almost going to survival mode. Um, and it becomes really challenging to give the kids the, the necessary attention uh, that they need in the struggles that they go through in their life when you don't have some mind space um, in your own life to address those needs. And, and uh, again, I think that, that two-family structure offers more time, more space, more nurturing um, for the young people that we're raising. Yeah, I agree, and I have been fortunate to have over a dozen Navy SEALs on the show here, and they speak about masculinity in a similar way that you did just now. Um, I love the fact that the SEALs are getting involved in politics. Uh, Their talent and mindsets are definitely a benefit to all of us. Another issue that they talk about is gun control. We have heard many cries for gun control, especially from Hollywood, which in contrast can't seem to produce a single film without promoting gun violence. How do you feel about guns and gun safety with kids and the whole issue? Listen, I, I mean, I, again, it's, guns aren't killing people. People use guns to kill people, right? I mean, uh, very uh, simple philosophy. And, you know, I come from Wisconsin. Uh, we love guns, um, and we respect guns. And, you know, as we – I have guns in my home. Um, you got to be frank with your kids uh, about how dangerous they are and how they – when they're of their appropriate age, how they work. And – you know, how they're able to access them with their parents. I mean, and you go through stringent rules with them. Um, but we've grown up um, uh, in a country that's gone, well, I, mean, I mean, radically opposed to the Second Amendment. But in our country and in our history, we've had guns in our homes um, since our founding. Um, and we haven't had the violence that we've seen in some of these school shootings. And so I, what, I, what frustrates me is um, the left says we have to look at guns um, and I say we have to look at people. Why are kids so angry? Why are kids so detached? I mean, why, why can't we see the signals that these, these kids are giving out um, with their anger and their, and their desire for violence? And how are we reaching them? But if you just say it's a gun problem and you don't look at the anger problem that exists in this country, you're not getting to the root cause because you've seen even in, in Europe if, and even here in the United country, if you don't have a gun, you use a, a, a pressure cooker or a pipe bomb or a car, or a hatchet, or a knife, um, violence finds a tool. Um, and we have to look at what's driving the violence and the anger within our young people. And I think a lot of them, uh, there's a lot of sadness, and there's a lot of anger. And again, I think, it, to your point, it comes back to the family. And listen, not every family is perfect. Um, and there's some bad families out there. But on balance, um, you know, a, 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 a couple that comes together, that loves each other, uh, that raises kids, um, is, the, is the best home to teach about guns, to teach about morality, to teach about life, to teach about work skills, to teach about how, you know, we go to school and have to learn. I mean, all the values that make us productive, um, faith-filled citizens usually comes from a family.
Yeah, I agree. And the political atmosphere is just so toxic right now and so full of anger, so full of hate. I try to avoid politics on the podcast just because of it. I did have the honor of having John James join me on the podcast for Election Day. He's a great family man, a veteran, and and I got just slammed on social media just just for having him on. Uh, It's so sad to see the hatred that some people have. Uh, so what are some of the challenges that you face? How do you handle all the trolls and all the nasty, you know, anonymous filth that's being spewed on social media while being a politician and a father? But to your original point, I mean, that, that people are so hostile and so angry, maybe they have to look at themselves. I mean, so I'm a, I'm a conservative Republican. I've got eight kids. I've been married for, you know, almost 20 years. Um, obviously, no, no, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. Um, but on my committee, I'm on financial services. Uh, the new chair of our committee is Maxine Waters. Now, Maxine Waters is, you know, pretty far left. She wants to impeach the president. You know, we don't agree a whole lot on politics. Um, and I'll disagree with her fervently on politics. But I don't hate her. I actually get along with her really well. When we close the door and we've worked on legislation together, uh, I respect her. Um, and I've got, you know, a lot of other members on my committee who are part of the resist movement, the, the hate Trump movement. And, um, again, I'll disagree with them on policy, but the, we let politics drive our lives into such a hateful space where families sometimes don't talk to each other anymore. Um, siblings or friends, uh, you know, unfriend each other on Facebook because of politics is absolutely outrageous. And if you, if you can't, um, disagree on politics and still be friends with someone, I think it says more about you than it does about the friend you disagree with on politics. My mom is a big Bernie Sanders supporter. Um, I am not. Um, and I love the woman to death. She gave me birth. And we'll have conversations, but I don't attack her personally. And we'll, I'll, I'll talk about the issues with her, and she'll get mad at me, and she'll tell me a whole bunch of negative things about the president. And But I love her. We, we have to get to a place in our country where you know, we look at ourselves and how we respond to politics. You can love Donald Trump. You can hate him listening to your podcast. But does that mean you, you can't be friends with someone who feels differently than you? Um, and if we're going to, we're going to heal the country, if we're going to come together as a country, um, it's not going to be the Congress that does it. It's not going to be your president that does it. It's going to be our families and our friends and our communities who say, we want to, we want to debate these issues because they're important to us. But we're still going to be friends. We're still going to respect each other. Um, even if we have a disagreement on the politics, uh, because it's those friendships. It's, I look at even Maxine Waters, it's the friendship. It's the relationship that builds the trust that allows you to actually work on, on some points of agreement that you may have. But if you just demonize the other person, um, I, I don't think you see the humanity uh, in that person. And I think you're shortchanging them and you're shortchanging yourself and you're shortchanging your community. All right, it is now time for a word from today's sponsors, and I'll be right back with more of the action on First Class Fatherhood. Very well said. Yeah, and I think it's important uh, that we recognize the fact that we have a lot more in common than we know. Uh, as fathers, you know, it doesn't matter what religion, what race, or, or what side of the aisle that you're on. As a dad, you want the best for your child. You know, we love our children. We want to provide and protect for our families. If we just start there as a basis, I think we would quickly figure out that, hey, you know, we're all in search of the same things here. Happiness, love, joy, success, freedom. And I just don't understand, you know, how we're missing that right now. But I think as you, as you turn it back to the families, make no mistake, our kids watch us. They see us. Um, they emulate us, the good things and the bad things. And if they see, you know, your intolerance on politics, 
uh, for the other side, um, they too will be intolerant. You're raising an intolerant child. And again, I think it's important to raise, and I, just, I, I, I educate my kids on, on the viewpoints that I hold. And oftentimes they'll give me pushback on things that I disagree on and I've taught them to think for themselves. I don't shut them down. But we always promote being respectful and even respectful of those who have different opinions. And I do that by showing them respect when they have disagreements with me. But if you don't exhibit that tolerance in your life, um, your kids see it and they too will be intolerant. And then you don't see this country come together. You see it move further apart. And I think that's, that's dangerous for the family and it's dangerous for the country. Um, and so I just, I mean, to your listeners who, you know, get mad, you might have a, 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 a politician on, who might have a, a, a viewpoint. I think they have to take a second look at, at how they're looking at their own lives uh, and the anger that they have on politics and, and put that aside and agree to engage in the debate and leave the hate and the anger on the sideline. I agree. And right now, uh, you know, the biggest issue is the wall and border security. And as a father, it bothers me to hear about, you know, the kids being separated from their parents unjustly. Uh, In fact, when I saw the cover of Time magazine over the summer with the little girl crying in front of President Trump, it bothered me so much. I reached out to the little girl's father. His name is Dennis Varela Hernandez. I did an interview with him on the podcast here. He's living in Honduras, and he told a completely different story than the one that was being reported. So it's, it's hard to know where the truth is. Uh, but my heart goes out to these kids because they're in a bad place right from the dribble. They're being used as propaganda by the other side. Uh, some of them are being used as tools just to sneak into the country. Uh, what are your thoughts? How can you be for border security and also care about the kids at the same time? I would, I would, I'd pass the question a different way which is uh, how can you say you support families and not be for border security? And the, w- the reason I say that is because w- when you have an open border, um, you have people in Honduras and uh, Guatemala um, and other countries that think that they can make this very dangerous journey to our southern border. And we know that over, uh, over 400 people died making that journey um, last year alone. We know from Doctors Without Borders that, uh, over 30% of the women who take that journey are sexually assaulted. And we know that I was a former prosecutor, you, you, depending on how aggressive the assault is, maybe this has lifelong impacts on the people who were abused. Um, and so the, 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 the journey is dangerous, uh, and they take it because they think they can walk into our country. If you secure your border, they're not going to take that dangerous journey. And if you have a legitimate asylum claim, let's let them go to the American embassy in their home country, apply for asylum, if they meet the criteria, they can get on a plane and they can fly to America. But this, I mean, 2,000-mile journey where, I mean, the, the, they're coming in with a lot of d- diseases um, because of, I mean, just the, the conditions in which they're living and the, and, and the excruciating journey that they go on. Um, it's a humanitarian crisis that we would incentivize people to come to our southern border. And then on top of that, um, we, in my in my community, I'm in, I'm in Wisconsin, but – um, we are being ravaged by heroin and meth uh, in our communities. And over 90% of those drugs are, are coming from the southern border. And so uh, what's happened is so many, so many people have started using the drugs, and they're so addictive and they're so dangerous that we've had to take the, the counties have had to take their kids away and place their kids in out-of-home placement. And the counties have had to spend so much money on child out-of-home placements because of drug addict parents that the counties have run out of money. Um, and so if you look at just the health of a family, you don't have a healthy family when you're uh, addicted to heroin or to meth. Um, you don't. 
And if we could stop the inflow of the drugs, um, that would help, I think, on, at least on the supply side, help us address this issue. Uh, and also, we've got to get to the heart of why people are using these drugs, what sadness or, 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 or uh, what trauma has happened in their life that has brought them to the drug use. But make no mistake, the southern border and the drug flow has been catastrophic um, for Wisconsin families, but also families all across this country. And then if you look at, you know, officers saying, you know, a lot of people want to come here to work. They do. They're, they're looking for a better life. But you do have still a, a, a good percentage of people who are criminals. Some are part of criminal gangs. We have people that are, are now, well, the gang, uh, terrorists have been trying to get into our country for a long time. Uh, we saw that from 9-11. We see them trying to get on airplanes and foreign airports, and they, they, or, or we stop them in U.S. airports. But we now know that they're flying to Central America, sometimes to Panama and to Costa Rica, and then going north and joining the caravans and trying to get into our country. So there's a, there's a threat there, too. And so I think the policy on the border and the most compassionate policy is if you, if you have border security, you don't incentivize people to take the, uh, the dangerous journey, and it's more ca- compassionate policy. But then we're able to uh, help keep our own community safer in America from the drug flow and, and, from, the, uh, and from the criminals and potentially from terrorists. And um, that doesn't mean we don't let people in. That doesn't mean we don't, you know, allow refugees, asylum seekers into our country. Of course we do. But we let those who have the legitimate claims in, and we let them file in their home countries instead of taking a horrific journey. And to your point, oftentimes you have a better chance of getting in if you have a child with you. And so you see families coming together with little children, um, or you see people um, grabbing someone else's child and taking that child to the border um, so they can actually get in. And so children are being used as pawns for border access. Yeah, and it's very sad to see. Um, getting back to your family here, are any of your kids showing any interest in following your footsteps into a political career? Not that I'm aware of, but because we love politics in our family, the, the kids love politics too. And again, we have, we have some pretty raucous debates and a lot of times they agree with us, um, me and my wife, and a lot of times they don't. Um, and it's good to be, you know, good discussions. But I think it's important that kids are aware of the world around them and the issues that the country is grappling with and make sure they're educated and thinking for themselves. And what I get a lot of is, why do you think this, Dad? You know, what, so, and I'll be honest with you, we have a lot of conversations about the legalization of marijuana. I'm opposed to it. And a lot of these young people are in favor of it. And so we have a lot of debates about what does marijuana do, um, you know, to your motivation? What is it, you know, what are, what are the odds of you going from marijuana to harder drugs? Um, you know, what does it do to a, a young person's mind? You know, how does it relate to psychosis? Um, so we'll engage in that. We'll talk about gay marriage. Um, and, you know, you know, where, uh, you know, where, where we should be on the whole marriage issue or what, what are their thoughts? What are our thoughts? The social issues, we'll talk about guns. And again, it's a, it's a debate that they don't always agree, but I'm happy that my kids are thinking about it and asking questions about it. And they very well may come and they do come to some of different conclusions than me, but I'm happy that they're being raised in a home where they're confronted with the issues and thinking about it and forming their own opinions. Um, which, which I appreciate. Can I just, can I, can I bring up one other point? Of course. I, I think on our, in our school, I'm just riffing on you here, I'm sorry, but on our school system, um, and what's promoted in their schools is really important. I, I'm Catholic, and so we send our kids to a Catholic school. And my freshman had a test, yes, uh, uh, later, earlier this week, and uh, her teacher, 
uh, as they were getting a test on the capitals um, um, uh, of, of countries around the world. The teacher made it clear that if you put down Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, you will get it wrong, right? And it begs the question, who gets to decide what your capital is? I mean, does, does, does the world get to decide that, that Chicago, New York, or Washington or L.A. is our capital? Or does America get to say, hey, no, Washington, D.C. is our capital? we got to decide that. But you have, I mean, you have schools promoting, and this is one example, a lot of issues and a lot of information <laughs> that uh, is, is not of a traditional sense, um, and I don't think of, of an accurate sense, um, to the point where we can't say that Israel says that Jerusalem is our capital, so we're going to call Jerusalem their capital. Um, that's the wrong answer in this Catholic school. And I think it's important for parents to um, not just educate their kids on politics, but other issues that we confront. Because if you don't do it as a parent, um, your school is going to do it um, or your culture is going to do it. And um, just because you don't talk to your kids about these issues doesn't mean someone else is. And so if you want to um, engage them and help them think through some of these, these issues, I think it's better off that you do it yourself with your kids as opposed to letting, you know, the school and the culture do it for you, because, or, or Hollywood do it for you, or Google or Facebook do it for you, I think you should be part of that conversation. And so often we as parents don't engage in those conversations, and so someone else does it. And um, as part of parenthood, I think it's also, you know, bringing up issues that they face in the day that are cultural or political um, to help them, you know, think through and form their own opinions. Yeah, I agree. I'm Catholic as well, and I have two kids in Catholic school, two in public. And I think the whole school system, the education system in general, really needs an upgrade because, let's face it, I think it was designed for an era that ended a long time ago. I would love to see some of the focus in school, especially high school, uh, be put on goal setting, wealth creation, you know, even a little more focus back on the trades. Because, you know, I drive Uber on the weekend. I speak to a lot of these college kids, and they have no idea why they're majoring in what they're majoring in, nor do they have any plans on using, uh, you know, the major or the degree. Agree. Uh, once they finish the school, so um, the whole process of education, I think, really could use an overhaul. Well, I, I agree. So today, um, we always say, well, if you want to be successful, you have to go to college and get a four-year degree. Well, I mean, I went to—I I got a four-year degree, and I was—I I got a degree in marketing. That was the most useless darn degree uh, that a guy could ever get. Um, you know, now it worked out well for me. I went to law school. I was a prosecutor for for ten years, um, and I—I'm uh, a U.S. congressman. But there's a lot of people who go, I don't want to go to, I don't, to, why are you saying that to be successful I have to get a four-year degree? Maybe I want to be a welder. Maybe I, uh, I want to be a machinist. Maybe I want to be a mechanic. Let, let's help kids try to figure out where their passion is, what their American dream is, and direct them there, as opposed to saying you you, you got to go to one of these four-year uh, institutions. I think that's a mistake. Also, when I took the bar exam, I was a, what, a while ago, and I took the bar, as you do the bar review, um, they bring in the best professors on contracts to teach a day-long review course on contracts. And the same thing happened for Taurus. And I thought, why, God, if I had professors like this in law school that were this good, man, I would have aced law school, which I didn't, by the way. I didn't ace it. I was doing a lot of different stuff. Um, I mean, with technology today, you know, the kind of, the kind of instruction we could get in our classroom uh, that breaks out to some of the best math teachers that can explain it the best, and you might still have a teacher in the room, there's a whole new way we could think about education that could, that could do a better job educating our kids um, with a higher quality um, than what we see right now. And, and I don't think we're, we're totally tapping that out yet. And as a culture, we have to go, okay, 
how is this working right now? Yeah, are we successful in, in, in how we're educating our kids? Um, and if not, we've got to get our school systems to rethink it. And we have the technology to do it, and we have the great teachers to make it happen. It's just about us, I think, implementing it, um, as well as helping kids, you know, get into the right career path that's going to satisfy their passions. Yeah, Sean, and I think the uh, smartphone can be either a gold mine or it can destroy your entire life. Uh, I think Jim Rohn said it the best talking about education when he said, uh, you know, formal education can make you a living. Self-education can make you a fortune. And I've had guys on the show like Ed Milet, Bedros Koulian, Joel Marion. I mean, these guys went from being broke to being worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And they didn't do it through college. They did it through self-educating themselves and by learning how to set goals, create wealth. And now because of social media, you know, we have access the guys like this and we can kind of learn from them follow the blueprint uh, of how they were able to become so successful you know and i'm really just starting the whole process myself i'm a machinist you mentioned machinist there i've been a machinist on the railroad for 19 years and and, you know just recently i began to shift my mindset and pursue other interests and uh you know this podcast is a result of that and you think outside the box go you know what i'm thinking outside the box to go how can i how can i do more and again i think it's creative thinking and you know it's limitless possibility right now but what you did and what all the successful guys that you referenced that you've had on your show, um, they've worked hard. Nothing is ever given to you. No one ever gets something for free. Um, everyone who you see that's, that's, uh, that's been successful in business or in entrepreneurship or in sports or in Hollywood, anyone who's successful has got there because they worked hard. And sometimes our culture says, you don't have to work hard. The system's rigged. People owe you things. No one owes us anything. We can go out there in, in, a, in a free economy um, and make our dreams come true. And if you work hard in, in this economy and in this country, um, you'll be successful and you'll be able to live your dream. Like, you, like, like, again, like you said, you have. I mean, great example. All right, Sean. Well, we just turned the page here on a new year. Uh, what kind of goals do you have set for yourself? What can we expect to see from Sean Duffy in 2019? Well, um, I'm, I'm working in Congress now for the first time as a minority. I, uh, I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a guy who tries to look across the aisle and get things done uh, with Democrats there. Um, on the home front, you know, eight kids, uh, I, I'm going to try to hit more games. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm, i got to do a better job on my schedule and, you know, make sure I'm doing the right part of carving out not just box of time but consistent time. Um, as I, we, my wife and I talk about this a lot, but making sure that we have cons- consistent time or consistency in the schedule as opposed to just blocks on and blocks off, which usually happens with my schedule. So I'm going to improve that. And again, I think, uh, it'll make me a better father and hopefully I'll be able to be a good congressman, uh, working with my, uh, my, my Democrats and leadership across the aisle. Very cool. All right. Last question I'm going to hit you with here, Sean. I love to ask all the dads I get on the podcast, what type of advice could you give to that new dad or to that about to be father who's out there listening? Don't freak out. I think it's one of the most frightening things when you have your first one, um, uh, when you have your first child, uh, it changes your life. It changes your world. It changes your responsibility. Don't freak out. Um, they grow up really fast. Uh, so enjoy the sleepless nights, enjoy the dirty diapers. Because before you know it, you're going to send them off to college uh, and wonder where all the time went. Awesome. Well said. I love the message. Sean Duffy, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Alec, thanks so much. Have a great day and God bless. All right. I'll be right back after a quick spot.
Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Congressman Sean Duffy for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was pretty cool. Get over to Twitter. Drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to hear your feedback. And you got to bring it right back here for episode 121 dropping tomorrow. I am going to have retired Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joining me here on the podcast. You don't want to miss that one. And then on Thursday, I got a first class father who is just crushing the real estate game. I got Andy Dane Carter joining me. And then Friday, Heath Evans, former NFL fullback and Super Bowl champion, will be here. Lock it in. You don't want to miss out. That's all I got for you today. I'm Alec Lace. You've been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Tall as a tree, had a soft feeling.